All right, now normally I would tell you to open your Bibles, and um, generally we look at a specific passage, but this morning we're going to be doing a broad overview of the whole biblical story. So ironically, on a Sunday where we're talking about God's Word, we're not going to have a specific passage to look at, but it's all going to be about God's Word and trying to look at the broad biblical story. We're continuing our series this morning on being spirit-sensitive and dependent, which we began two weeks ago. Uh, We've been focusing for the last couple weeks on the Holy Spirit, uh, which is, or who is the one through whom God is with us today. Uh, We've been remembering how important it is that God is present with us through his Spirit. And um, in the original languages that the Bible was written in, um, the same word is used for spirit as is used for breath. God's spirit is God's breath, figuratively speaking. Think about that. Breath is personal. Breath is a sign of life. Breath is a sign of presence. And in the case of God, breath is powerful. Today we're going to shift our focus a bit from focusing on God's spirit, God's breath, to focusing on God's word. Words are what we get when breath begins communicating. Have you ever tried to speak without breathing? You can't do it. Yet breath by itself doesn't communicate. It it, it may be reassuring to hear someone next to you uh, breathing next to you in bed at night, but at some point you'd like to have them speak. (laughs) It's it's when breath is is articulated, when, when breath becomes word, that communication takes place and relationships happen. Aren't you glad that God speaks to us? Where would we be without words from God? This morning, I'd like to take a look at the biblical story and remind ourselves of just how important it is that God speaks. We begin in the Garden of Eden, that very first story in the Bible, And here the man and the woman enjoy a close, free relationship with God. God is present with them in the garden. And God speaks to them, teaching them how to live and guiding them in the difference between right and wrong and commanding them to do what is right. Imagine if God hadn't done that. Imagine if God didn't let humanity know what their creator was like. Or or if God had left us in the dark to stumble along to figure out morality for ourselves with no wisdom, no guidance. Well, very quickly, that's actually what humanity chooses. We (laughs) stop listening to God's voice and choose to figure it out for ourselves. We, We took a vote of no confidence in God. And this quickly alienated us from God. Yet God continued speaking. This time, not giving commands, but asking questions. Where are you? God asks in the garden. Why are you hiding from me? What have you done? Rather than ignoring these these rebellious creatures or, or condemning them, God seeks them out with words, drawing them out, and then, then explaining that, that, yes, there are consequences for their choices. Where would we be today if if God had not spoken to us to mend that relationship and to show us where we went wrong and how it could be fixed? 
Have you ever known someone is, is mad at you, but they won't tell you why? <laughs> they give you the silent treatment. They, they won't talk to you about it. And, and so they just leave you guessing. And it drives you crazy, right? <laughs> Thankfully, that's not God's way. No, God speaks to the man and to the woman. Well, then the next time God speaks, God's again asking questions. This time it's to a guy named Cain. Cain is jealous of, of his brother Abel. He's angry. Both brothers had made an offering to God, and God was pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. And God asked Cain, Cain, should you be angry about this? God also offers a, a word of warning to Cain not to let his jealousy take over and lead him into worse trouble. Of course, Cain doesn't listen to God's words, and instead Cain kills his brother Abel out of spite and jealousy. And again, God speaks, this time to confront Cain and to let him know the consequences of his actions. God will not normalize murder. God lets Cain and, and all of posterity know that, that human life is precious and must not be taken. Where would we be without God's word? The next time God speaks, it's, it's to stand up again and voice that God will not normalize corruption and oppression. This time it's Noah to whom God speaks. We're told that, that the world has grown exceedingly wicked and dark and corrupt, and God tells Noah two things. First, God is going to bring punishment to put an end to this darkness and this evil that's causing unmitigated suffering and destruction. And then second, God isn't giving up on his creation, though. God will provide a way through Noah to save humanity and God's other creatures, too. God instructs Noah in all that's necessary to work out this plan. It involves a big boat to ride out the flood. And then after it's all said and done, God speaks again to make a promise to humanity that God will never again destroy the earth this way. And then God gives them further instructions on how to live in God's world, which has just been washed clean. Where would we be today if God had not spoken to Noah? Well, then the story takes a turn. In light of humanity's chronic inability to respect God and to stop being selfish and to treat others with respect and care, and in light of God's commitment to not normalizing toxic and destructive behavior and just letting it go on, but to have consequences brought to it, God embarks on a, on a new and great salvation plan to rescue humanity from the mess of their own making. Again, God does it by speaking. This time, God speaks to a man named Abraham, calling him and his wife Sarah to leave their old life behind and to embark on a new adventure with God. This will be a life in which Abraham will learn to be led by God's voice, to trust God's word, and to live their lives accordingly. Abraham responds with, with trust, with faith, by placing his life in the hands of the God who will guide him with words. And so God and Abraham begin a lifelong relationship. And from time to time, God speaks a new word to Abraham. Very often, it's a word of promise. It's a word of commitment, a word of covenant. Again and again, God reassures Abraham and Sarah that, that God is going to bless them and, and use this couple's descendants to bless the whole world. God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham listens and responds with trust. And this sets a pattern for all of us who would follow. But lest you think it's only 
uh, super spiritual, holy Bible heroes who God speaks to. Along the way, God also speaks to, to Sarah's Egyptian slave girl, Hagar. Twice, God sends an angel, a heavenly messenger, to save and to protect and to reassure Hagar. Though, though Hagar has no standing in that day or, or that culture, yet God saw her and God cared for her and God spoke to her. And so God teaches us that, that God's way is not one which privileges rich white men. <laughs> no, God's words are for everyone. Aren't you glad that God spoke to Abraham and to Sarah and to Hagar? Well, as, as God begins fulfilling his, his promises, working out his plan for Abraham's family, God continues speaking. God speaks to Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac and, and uh, their daughter-in-law, Rebekah. Then God speaks to their, their son, uh, Jacob. God teaches them, God reassures them that God is with them too as God was with Abraham and Sarah. And then God begins speaking to Jacob's son, Joseph. God speaks to Joseph through dreams. Up to this point, God had spoken through visions and God had spoken through angels, God's spirit messengers who from time to time appeared and delivered God's words. And sometimes prior to Joseph, the Bible just says the Lord said, and, and we don't know exactly how God said it or how they heard it. Maybe it was a voice out of the heavens. We just don't know for sure. But now God speaks to Joseph in dreams. And when Joseph winds up in Egypt, God gives dreams also to the Egyptians around Joseph, which God then enables Joseph to interpret for them. And as God guides Joseph through these dreams to warn of a coming famine and to store up food ahead of time, God uses Joseph to orchestrate the salvation of Abraham's growing family and much of the ancient world as well from this devastating famine. And so we see through God's words, God protecting and, and preserving Abraham's descendants and beginning to use them to be a blessing to the world as God said he was going to do. Aren't you glad God speaks? <laughs> well, guess what? God's just getting started. Because now we come to the part when Moses enters the story. Moses is considered the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. In Numbers 12.6, God has this to say about Moses. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So first, God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. God's people are still in Egypt and they've They've grown now. A lot of years have gone by. They've grown to be a mighty a, a nation. And, and the Egyptians have begun enslaving them. And after this has gone on for a while, God calls to Moses to go and save God's people. God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't it good news that God speaks here? God reassures Moses that, that God sees, God hears, God is concerned 
for his people about oppression. And so God comes to save God's people. Where would we be without God's word calling Moses to help deliver God's people from this oppression? Well, as the story continues, God speaks to Moses again and again. And through Moses, God speaks to God's people and God speaks to Pharaoh. And God leads Moses step by step by God's words in the redeeming of God's people out of slavery. And then when when the job is done, God leads the people to Mount Sinai. And there God speaks to all the people, thundering from from the smoking mountaintop. And and the people cry, stop! (laughs) Stop speaking to us. It's too scary. We'll die. (laughs) We'll tell you what, God. You keep speaking to Moses, and Moses will tell us, and that's how we'll hear your word. And this arrangement prompts a new activity, the the writing down of God's words. Because Moses realizes that he won't always be around to to relay God's words to the people. And and the people are quick to forget what God speaks. And and so Moses begins writing down what God tells him so that the people can have it and treasure it and remember it. Moses begins by writing down the covenant, the, the treaty that God agrees to enter into with the people. God will be their God. God will provide for them and protect them. God will make them his special people, and they will become a kingdom of priests to the rest of the nations, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. And God's people, for their part, will be expected to worship God alone, to let God lead them and let God teach them about goodness and morality and ethics so that people can show the rest of the world how to live good lives, just lives. And when the people agree to this covenant, Moses writes it all down. The agreement, the promises, the laws, and the commands, the stipulations of the covenant. And there are lots of commands, right? (laughs) Through them, God teaches the people how to worship God. How to ask God for forgiveness when they do wrong. How to live individually and how to treat their neighbors. How to treat one another in civic and economic matters. How to judge legal disputes. How to treat other nations in international and military affairs. I mean, it covers the whole gamut. Uh, The commands contain much of what we need to, to live as a nation, or what they needed to live as a nation. has a lot of implications for us as well. Because God was, was teaching those people as a nation to live like a city on a hill, shining like a beacon of justice and goodness in a dark world. Where would we be without God's words? Will God keep speaking to Moses, helping Moses to lead the people through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land? E- even though the people now have God's written words, this doesn't negate the need for God to keep speaking, to keep guiding, to keep relating to them. And along the way, God has to correct and and punish the people. God also has to provide for them and protect them. And all this while, God is speaking to Moses. God's coaching and and coaxing the people through the whole journey. Well, then finally, Moses dies. But but thankfully, God continues speaking to Moses' replacement, Joshua. God encourages Joshua. God directs Joshua as Joshua leads the people into the promised land. First, there are battles to fight. Then there's the settling and the dividing up of the land into just and equitable fashion. When, when Joshua forgets to ask God what to do uh, and just goes ahead and does it himself, he gets into trouble. You can read about this in Joshua 9 when the Gibeonites trick Joshua and God's people. 
Where would we be without God's word? Well, I'm going to fast forward a bit at this point. We're only up to Joshua and time's ticking by. (laughs) So we're going to skip over the period when the judges ruled God's people to the time of the kings. Kings like Saul and David and Solomon and their descendants. Interestingly, aside from an occasional dream, God seldom spoke directly to these kings. Generally, God instead spoke to a prophet and the king depended on the prophet to bring him God's message. This is like the original checks and balances. It didn't work out so well for the prophets all the time, though. Occasionally, the prophets would would bring good news, like when God was so pleased with King David that, that God promised David would never fail to have an heir on his throne. But more often than not, the kings got off track. They fell into oppressing their people and worshiping the gods of other nations. And by the way, these other gods placed few checks on royal power. So the kings were happy to worship them. These other religions didn't offer much in the way of moral or or ethical requirements. So the prophets would come bringing God's word. God would say to these kings, remember, we made a covenant together. Come on, turn back to me. Live by my values or else I'm going to hold you accountable for breaking the covenant, for your rebellion and and your oppression. And you can imagine these kinds of messages from the prophets didn't make them popular in halls of power. The kings didn't want to hear God saying it was wrong to oppress poor farmers and steal their land. They didn't want to hear that they should trust God alone instead of making military alliances with more powerful empires and their gods. The kings didn't want to hear that the other gods they worshipped weren't gods at all. And because the kings were were dead set on, on breaking their covenant with God, God eventually sent them and the people that they ruled into exile. That was uh, 600 B.C. during the, the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And this was a time of darkness and deep suffering for God's people. A time of confusion and despair. Now, at some point during this time, something very important started happening. Those who who were listening and who had listened to the words of these prophets, who who were hungering to hear from God, they began writing down and collecting the messages that these prophets had spoken and written. They, They also collected and wrote down and edited the stories of how God had worked among and through his people, which had led up to this time of exile. And this material, along with the writings of of Moses, is much of what we have in the Old Testament today. These writings reveal to us much about who God really is and how uh, how God works among his people and what God expects and what God is trying to accomplish in the world through all of this. Where would we be without these revelations? Where would we be without God's word? The messages of the prophets especially shed light on what was about to happen next in history. Because along with words of warning and and judgment, the prophets also held out encouragement and hope, especially for the people once they were suffering in exile. The the prophets relayed into this time of darkness and suffering, they relayed God's promises that, that God would not leave his people in punishment and exile forever, but that one day a descendant of David would be restored to the throne, not only to rule over Israel, but to spread God's blessings to the whole world, as God had promised Abraham and also the people in Moses' time. Well, then fast forward to the time of Jesus. We're in the days of 
uh, Rome now, Roman times. And at this point, there hasn't been a notable prophet for a long time. Only these written words that the faithful continue to treasure. But then, suddenly, God breaks the silence. John the Baptist comes and, and foretells the coming of this new king the prophets had talked about who would sit on David's throne, a new savior for God's oppressed people. God is speaking again. Jesus is born and surrounding his birth are angels and dreams reaffirming that Jesus is the promised one and orchestrating Jesus' arrival into the world. Then later, Jesus reaches full adulthood, 30 years old. He's baptized by John. And at that moment, heaven rips open and God's voice speaks. This is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. The New Testament writers tell us that Jesus is not only going to speak God's word, but in a very real and profound sense, Jesus is God's word. John, the gospel writer, puts it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where would we be without God's word? And so Jesus' whole life is God speaking to us. God spoke through Jesus' healing and casting out of demons, telling us that God wants to set free those suffering in bondage and to make whole those whose bodies are broken. God spoke through Jesus forgiving sinners and eating with them, telling us that God wants to invite all people back to God, the good and the bad. To all, God offers forgiveness and reconciliation, new beginnings and grace. And God spoke through Jesus' teaching instructing us in how we're to live and that we're to live lives of love and lives of forgiveness and faithfulness and lives of service. God also spoke through the message of good news that, that Jesus proclaimed, telling us that God is on a mission to save and restore the whole world and that God is enlisting us to help him in fulfilling that mission. Aren't you glad God spoke through Jesus? Where would we be without God's word? And then God spoke the most amazing words of all. As Jesus died on a cross, showing the full, astounding depth of God's love. How far God would go to redeem us, to reconcile us to himself, taking our own rebellion, our own dysfunction, our own darkness on himself to absorb its effects so that we could be spared and forgiven and reconciled to God and given brand new beginnings. And then Jesus rose again, defeating death and opening the way to new life. What amazing words of, of hope and new life that God spoke through Jesus. Well, after Jesus rose again and ascended back to God, God would no longer speak through Jesus' earthly life. Rather, wonder of wonders, God poured out God's Spirit on all of Jesus' followers to speak to us and through us all. As one of Jesus' first followers, the Apostle Peter put it, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so God continued to speak, not just through a small group of prophets, but to and through all of God's people, male and female, young and old. And so as the story continues, we see this beginning to play out. First, Jesus' followers are, are filled with God's Spirit, and they boldly speak God's Word, the good news of what God is doing through Jesus Christ. 
when the religious authorities throw several of them in prison, an angel sets them free and encourages them, keep speaking and telling the people about Jesus. Then another angel tells a guy named Philip to travel down a certain road, and, and there Philip uh, meets an Ethiopian official who is eager to know about Jesus and no doubt to bring that good news to his own people. And so God's word quickly spreads to far-off places. And then Jesus appears to a guy named Paul who was actually persecuting Jesus' followers at this time. And, and God shows Paul, or Jesus shows Paul that he's alive and real. And, and Jesus tells Paul he should start telling not just the Jews, but everyone he meets that Jesus, this Jesus thing is real. <laughs> Which Paul then begins doing. Then God speaks to Jesus' apostle Peter, give, giving, uh, using a vision um, to direct him to the house of a guy named Cornelius, who's a Roman, not a Jew, to tell Cornelius' whole family about Jesus. And so through these events, God says to Jesus' followers, this good news about Jesus isn't just to be kept for the physical ancestors of Abraham, the Jews, like, like it had been up to that point, but now it's to be offered to everyone who will live like Abraham lived, hearing God's words and responding with lives of trust. And so what began with Abraham so long before indeed does spread to become a blessing to all the nations. And so as the story continues, God continues to speak, directing, encouraging, recruiting people for his mission, sometimes using dreams, sometimes using visions, sometimes putting words in the mouths of prophets or other preachers, and always speaking through his written word. Aren't you glad God speaks? How would any of this happen, have happened if God never spoke? How would any of us be here this morning? Where would we be without God's word? I hope this story, this broad overview this morning has made you hungry for God, God's word. God's word is life. God's word is food. It's, it's love and reassurance. It's direction and correction. God's word shows us which way is up and which way is down, which way is <clears throat> forward and which way is backwards. God's word is how we know God and walk with God. Are you listening? Am I listening? Are you ready as an individual and as a church to grow to be more spirit-sensitive and dependent? The best way I can think of to apply this message to ourselves this morning is to read this book. <laughs> and then simply to ask God, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to us? And then keep your eyes and your ears open for how God responds. Let's continue to worship him this morning.